quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence here today. We just thank you that we can come. We can enjoy your presence together. We can worship you. We pray that each one of us would be touched both by your presence and by your word, that none of us would leave uh, as we came, but that we would leave changed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So how many of you were here were a uh, how many of you were here a couple weeks ago when I handed out some Pauline prayers? All right, we're going to start with one of those verses, but then we're going to do something different. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. He's now describing his prayer, that he prays that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And he prays that that we would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. How many of you believe? Okay, one of Paul's prayers is that we would know the power, the exceeding greatness of the power that is towards those of us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. He says that power, in case you're wondering which power is in the believers, it's that same power that raised Jesus from the dead and put him up in heavenly places. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. So what is under Jesus's feet? Everything. Who are Jesus's feet? It said he's the head and we're the body. He says, I pray that you would get it, that that there is this power, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that has put all things under Jesus' feet, but you're his body, and which is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So I'm always, every time I read through the Pauline prayers, the the thing that stands out to me most is that he doesn't seem to say, oh God, please give them better chariots, stronger horses, bigger houses. He says, let them realize what they already have. He says, let them get a grasp of what your power and your inheritance is, oh, that's already working in them. I have a question. How many of you guys hide money? I'm gonna clarify and probably more of you will raise your hand. Do you ever like stick a $20 bill somewhere deep in your wallet so it's kind of like, I don't wanna spend that on little things, but if I ever run out of gas, I wanna have you know, that there. Anybody like stick, there's a 20 buried somewhere in the car under the visor somewhere. You know, you're like, you, you've got that money, you stuck it there for just in case. 
How many of you ever forgot that it was there when you needed it? I have so done that. Where I had my emergency stash, I had like literally planned out in my mind, when I, you know, need it, I have enough here to put, you know, more than a half a tank of gas in the car or whatever. And then the need comes and I forget that it's there. I think we as Christians, that's us. We are operating, and it doesn't matter. We, we have more than we use. We have capacity that, that isn't there. And if you don't use it, it does you no good. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That verse talks about salvation. How many of you have accepted salvation? Now, did we have to earn it? No, but it, it was there. We, we had to accept it. But that's that same image of God having given us something, but until we reach out and take it by faith, we don't realize it. We don't get to utilize it. I heard a story about a woman who worked for years, and I wish I could remember the name of the company, but she worked for uh, a, a family that owned a large company. And it was a famous company, and I know I'd remember that it might occur to me halfway through the story, but she was part of the hired help in the home. And when she was too old to work, she, she left the job, went home to her humble apartment, and when she passed away, she had like no money. And her family came to, to collect her belongings, and on the wall, she had a paper framed that her boss had given her. Turns out it was stock in his company. She didn't know it, but she was a millionaire. Her family was able to turn that in and benefit, but she didn't. She never understood the value. He had given this to her and said, keep it, it's important, but she didn't know. She stuck it in a frame, put it on the wall. She had access to, to she could have retired on a tropical island but she didn't realize it. The Bible says in Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of, this dark, of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. See, our battle isn't with people over stuff. Our battle is against principalities and powers, against the rulers of this dark age. Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus says, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. How much of the power? All the power of the enemy. And nothing by any means shall hurt you. I'm going to ask a question. What? How would we define power? It's, it's authority. It's, 
Authority is like delegated power. And when we see that word authority, there are other translations that just say power. Behold, I give you power to trample. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You know, you've heard this, if you've come to this church for very long, you have heard this example. How many of you heard the story about the policeman who can stop a car? You've heard it. We've given this example before. We said, you know, when a policeman stands in the, the intersection and puts up his hand and says, stop, and the semi-truck stops, it's not because that policeman has more power than the semi-truck, but it's that the semi-truck recognizes the authority of that policeman. Behind that policeman is the power of the entire government. He understands that I can't run that policeman over because that policeman is representing what I need to do what that policeman says because he represents, or she, represents the entire government saying, you need to stop. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Anybody like Westerns? I loved Westerns growing up. And in so many of the Westerns, the bad guy comes to town, he does whatever, he takes off, and then the little sheriff goes around, rounds up all the people in the town, and he hands out a bunch of little tin stars, and he has a little, he says, put your hand on the Bible, and then he deputized them, and off they went. They were all given the authority of the sheriff. That's the picture of what Jesus has done. We don't represent ourself anymore. We have his authority. The Bible says greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And for many of us, it takes a while to get that other picture of what we're like. We think that we're still, you know, we, we, we assess the situation. Am, am I in myself sufficient to scare that demon? Probably not. But here's the deal. You don't have to be. Because He's not looking at you. He's looking at your badge. See, God has given us his authority. I'll never forget, I was on a mission trip. I think I was about 15 years old when I was in Mexico for the summer and there was a teen group that was coming down to Mexico City and they were gonna do some street evangelism and stuff. And so there were like 20-something teenagers and a few adults that were supervising and I met up with them to translate for them and to help and be a part of the team. And so we're there, we've got this group of teenagers, they're staying at a hotel, and I'm trying to remember all the details, but one of the kids on that trip um, manifest a demon. And they started talking in a weird voice, they started acting out, convulsing, some people turned cast the demon out of them. They, they were, we were at the hotel at, the, at night. And so they went into the room, the, the one kid's room, and cast the devil out of them. The devil left. And I was like, great, it's over. And a bunch of the kids that were on there, they were just freaking out. They're like, is the demon, wh wh which room did he go to? 
You know, and, and some of the kids didn't want to be in that room and some of the kids didn't want to be in that floor and they, they were all freaked out. And, and I just remember trying to convince them that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But they were still trying to think of themselves versus the demon, not greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Matthew 28, verse 18, he says, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given me in heaven, <clears throat> excuse me, in heaven and on earth. We, we go back to that scripture that, that I opened with in Ephesians chapter one. And, and he says, it is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Where did he get sat? At the right hand. Why? Do you remember the disciples all wanted to be on his right side? Do you remember that? It's like, well, why? Because they understood that represents authority. That's where the king or the ruler put the person who he gave his authority to. And Jesus has that authority. But then look, in verse 22, it says, and he put all things under his feet and he gave him to be head over all things to the church. Who's the church? Raise your hand if you're the church. It says, and he put all things under his feet and he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians chapter two, verse one says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. So you used to be a part of this world. You used to walk according to this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all, Paul says, once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were, past tense, by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, I like that sentence or that phrase, that, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive with Christ. So we were resurrected. He made us alive. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So where are we? We're in Christ, right where Christ was. What happened to him? He died and was resurrected and put at the right hand of Jesus Christ. Where is the church? We were dead, we were resurrected, and we were put at the right hand of God in Christ. When God sees us, he sees us positionally the same as he sees Jesus. We are there. 
He raised us up together, made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's the same bringing to life that took place in Jesus that takes place in us. I don't earn that power. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, we all know this one, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So to say that again, he says, I died and was resurrected with Christ. So the life that I'm living isn't even me anymore. It's Christ living through me. When we realize, listen, when we realize we have the same authority given to Christ our Christian lives will be revolutionized. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 12 through 14. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. That's me. That's you. We are one spirit with God. There is a, listen, Romans 5, 17 Four, if by one man's offense, death reigned through one, much more, those who received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Doesn't that sentence just kind of sound exciting? Reign in life? Through the one, Jesus Christ. I used to think, oh, I used, how many of you ever got upset at Adam for sinning? Anybody else done that? Oh, I've had that thought. It's like, Adam, why didn't you do, oh, mm, you know, uh, why not? I mean, we could have, oh. But then, and, and, and then the thought comes, why didn't, you know, we each get a chance to blow it for ourselves? Like, as if maybe I would have done it better. And, you know, it takes some humility to realize, you know what, I wouldn't have done it better. I mean, most of us would have probably blown it sooner. Maybe some of us would have lasted a little longer, but we would have all blown it. But then when, when I read this verse, I realize what, that God really, he did a favor. Because when he allowed Adam to represent all of us, he left the loophole so that Jesus could come and represent all of us. See, if Adam could blow it for all of us, then Jesus could fix it for all of us. That's exciting. I'm not mad at Adam anymore. I'm like, thanks. I'm glad you blew it. We could all blame you. I would have blown it too. But now, because you blew it on my behalf, Jesus can fix it on my behalf. We get to be represented 
by Jesus. Ephesians chapter 6, 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the dark age. That's the enemy. When we have a biblical perspective of demonic power, they are fallen angels who were defeated by Jesus at the resurrection. That's what they are. Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. That's the enemy. The enemy is already defeated. Satan's power, he had power. Look, Matthew chapter 4, 8 through 9. You remember Jesus was out in the, the desert. The Bible says that Satan came to tempt him, and it says, and the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these things I give you if you will fall down and worship me. He, he showed him all of those kingdoms. You know, if I offered you $2 million, it wouldn't be very tempting because most of you know I don't have $2 million. <laughs> but if I had it, well, then I could tempt you with it. See, I don't think the devil, in his one chance to tempt Jesus, tried a bluff. No, he had been given authority over those areas. It wasn't a bluff. He said, I will give that to you. And Jesus said no. But remember, that was before Jesus had died and rose again. You see, Colossians is talking about something that took place after that. It says that he disarmed principalities and powers and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Jesus defeated Satan. Our enemy is already defeated. Okay? How many of you have already picked a team for tonight's football game that you're hoping for? See, if this was, if this was got, it's already done. Like, it'd be like rooting for the team if you T-vote it tonight and then watched it on Wednesday. You ever do that and you're sitting there, go, go, and it already happened. You know, that's what, that's what this is like. The, the, the devil has been defeated. We're watching the, the replay in a sense. Colossians 1, 12 says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in his light. Here, here is a very powerful scripture. It says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. You could interchange that power for the word authority. He has delivered us from the authority of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Other translation says, he delivered you from the dominion of darkness into the dominion of his son. You see, we were all born in sin nature. But Jesus defeated Satan, and that's what it says. It says he conveyed us. When we were saved, he conveyed us from the dominion, the, under, from being under that authority of the devil. He conveyed us over to his kingdom. He gave us 
his authority. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. See, many, many of us Christians, we think that our authority is something for the future, for heaven or for the millennium. But it's for now. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, and Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, all authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. How much of it? All of it. And then he says, go therefore. Well, when you see a therefore, figure out what the therefore is there for. The therefore is there in reference to, hey, I have all the authority, so go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, go. So how many of you guys have ever studied a foreign language? You ever remember when they would, they would tell you, now this is what this word means. And they'd say something like, you know, the word love. And then if you were studying Greek, we know that Greek actually doesn't have one word for love. It has three. They say, you know, I love my sister. I would say in English, I love my sister. I love my wife. And I love God. And they would, but in Greek, I would say, well, I phileo love my brother, that brotherly love. I eros love my spouse. And I agape love, or God agape loves me. There are different types of love. It's very different. How many of you guys saw a lot of snow last week? <clears throat> In Sweden, way up north, the Swedish language has 25 words for snow. We, go, we get along with like snow, ice, sleet. They have 25. Some of it means wet packable snow. Some of it means snow blowing sideways. Some of it means snow, fluffy snow and grainy snow. And they have different words for it. The Eskimos even farther up, they have 50 words for snow. So sometimes when we're going along in English and we read something that says snow, the original language actually meant a little bit more. And I want to show you a verse. This is exciting. Remember, how many of you remember me referencing the Strong's Concordance last, last time? It's a big old fat book. The Strong's Concordance goes through, for those of you who didn't learn Greek, it goes through and gives a number to every single word used in the Bible in Greek. And then it gives a definition of that word. And so if you're looking through the concordance and you look up a verse and you see that word, you can see what number it was and then you know which word it is. All right? We're going to go to John chapter 16, verse 23. And it says this. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask, the Father in my name he will give you until you have asked Nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, 
At first glance, this gets a little confusing because he says, in that day you will ask me nothing. And then the next sentence he says, most assuredly I say to you whenever you ask. Anybody else see an apparent contradiction there? You're not going to ask me, but when you ask me, ask me. And that's because in the original language there are more than one word for ask. So can you, do you have the image of the... um, the Strong's Concordance? All right, this is when you look up the word ask in the Strong's Concordance. You'll see John chapter 15, 7, 16, 16. Do you see on the far right how there's a number there? It says 2065. And then it says a ditto because the next one, it says you shall ask me nothing. That's that first ask. And that's word number 2600, or 2065. But then it says, whatever you ask the Father, that's word number 154, as in those are two different words. Okay, so let's go. Can you give me the other other screen? Let's go see what those two mean. It says here, talking about the different words for for ask, it says that uh, the first one, which was number 441, uh, means to ascertain by inquiry. Thus differing from number 2065, which we saw, which means to request as a favor. So there's an ask in Greek that means, hey, I'm asking a favor. Which differs from number 154, which is strictly a demand of something due. So let's go back to this verse and let's read it with an understanding of the two different types of ask. And in that day, you will ask as in ask me a favor for nothing. You will not ask me for favors. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you ask in the way you would ask for something that you're already due, the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked for something owed to you, nothing, for nothing in my name. But ask demanding what you owe and you will receive that your joy may be full. How many of you guys have a bank account? I'm not asking you where, I'm not asking you the numbers, just you got one. Have you ever gone into the bank and asked for some of your money? Now, most of us probably didn't go in there and demand it. Give me that money I put in here last year. No, we went in and we said, here's my driver's license. Could I have $200 from my account, please? And the friendly person behind the desk said, sure. You just asked, Greek word 154. You asked for something that was already due you. You requested something that you already understood was your right to have. And Jesus says in this verse, he says, in that day, you will ask me for no more favors. We're not, so many of us, when we're praying, we're, we're like, God, if maybe you could find, maybe work it out, if it would be okay, If you could just do me this favor 
And, and Jesus says, there's going to come a day when you are going to stop asking me for favors and instead, you're going to understand the authority that's already been given to you. And you will say, you will ask, as in asking for something that you already have. You will request of the Father in my name, and he will give it to you. He's like, the day is going to come when you're going to stop thinking that you're going to ask a favor from me. Instead, you're going to declare in my name that which you already have a right to and God will give it to you. Amen. He says, the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And then, this is interesting, he says, until now, you have asked, using the ask in 154, which is demanding that which is owed, for nothing. Jesus says, so far, you've never done that. You just ask me for favors which someday you're going to quit doing, by the way, when you figure out how this works. You're not going to ask me for a favor. You're going to declare that which has already been given to you. In my name, ask, as in 154, requesting that which is already owed, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, just for kicks, let's read a couple of other verses that use that same ask. Ephesians chapter 3, 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, 154, ask as in demanding that which is already owed. Or imagine according to what? His power that is at work within us. Oh, I can get goosebumps. James chapter one, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask, number 154, as in demand that which you already have a right to. Ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. John, chapter 14, verse 13. And I will do whatever you ask, number 154, as in demand that which is already owed in my name. Jesus says, when you ask what is already given to you in my name so that the Father may be glorified. He says, I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified. Ch James chapter 4, verse 2. You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Then it continues, that same 154. The next verse says, when you ask you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22, and receive from him anything we ask, number 154, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So my goal today is that 
that prayer in Ephesians begins to be answered in our lives, that we begin to, to get it, that, that his inheritance and the greatness of, of what he's given us is there, that we are his children, that God sees us positionally just like Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Then Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 says, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The authority that God has, he gave it to us. He is the head. We are the body. He relies on the body to do what the head desires. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom done, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, God has given us his authority but then allowed us to be the vehicles that put into reality that which he has already accomplished. Do you follow? You and I have so much more than what we as Christians typically utilize. He says, I have, I have overcome, I have already defeated the devil. And I give you that authority. I send you out in my name, in my place, with my power, what is his power? His power is his positional authority. How many of you remember the story of the centurion who came to Jesus? And he comes up to Jesus and he says, my servant is sick. Would you heal him? And Jesus says, sure, where are we going? And he says, oh, don't worry. You don't have to come all the way because I too am a man under authority. I say to someone, go and they go. I say, come and they come. I understand that you have authority. All you need to do is speak the word and my servant will be well. And the Bible says that Jesus marveled at his faith because he understood something that no one else had seen. He says, I have not seen faith like this anywhere because you get it. It's about authority. You get it. I don't have to go there. I was willing to, but I don't have to. And he said, your servant is well. And the scripture says that at that very moment, he began to recover. Why? Because that man understood that Jesus had authority. We can be like that person, but there's one additional step in that God has then granted us that authority. He said, now go run with it. You get to go do what I would do. 
if I was there, because hint, hint, I am. Wherever you are, I am. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You see, when we stop thinking of ourselves as, as needing to, to earn the ability to be used by God, and we just realize just God is there, and he's already done the work. You know, I told you that story about, about the people, the, the kids who got freaked out when, when somebody was delivered from a demonic oppression. And I remember the first time, I remember, like, I, I remember the first time that I was asked to pray for someone who was demon-possessed. And I remember thinking, oh, did I read enough scriptures? Have I prayed enough? Am I, am I up to this task? I, my summers since I was 11, I spent in, in another country. I wanted to go into the mission field. And when I was 11, my Spanish was getting really rusty. And my parents called up a pastor in Guadalajara. And they said, we're going to fly him down there. Please put him with somebody who doesn't speak any English. They put me on a plane in Grand Rapids. And I landed, well, it was actually Chicago, Dallas, Guadalajara. And the pastor picked me up. I spent a couple of days at his house and then a few more days at somebody in his church's house who did not speak any English. And every summer after that, I would go and spend time in Mexico. And when I was 13, I spent the whole summer, two months of it, out in these villages. And I remember my dad said, now go, tell them what you know. In the land of the blind, the Cyclops is king. Go for it. And so I went down there, and that's when I started to preach. And I remember it was one of those, it was either that summer or the next summer. So I was 13 or 14 years old, and I'm back in this village. There's no road that even reaches this village. Like, we had taken a truck to the end of the road and then hiked a couple of hours to get to this village. And they said, oh, come, pray for this person. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, am I spiritual enough? Have I done that? Now I look at it, I'm like, I was so dumb. It had nothing to do with me. You know, does anybody, when a policeman comes and gives you a ticket, you ever anybody, anybody ever ask them their GPA during, you know, cadet training? Well, I'm sorry, did you graduate top of your class? Because if you didn't, I don't plan on paying this. It doesn't matter. They have authority. Period. They could be top of the class, bottom of the class, middle of the class. They were just in the class. That's all that mattered. They have been given that authority. We as Christians need to get that understanding that our power does not come from where we ranked in the class. We've been deputized by Jesus. We have been given his authority. He has been crucified. We were crucified with him and raised from the dead. It doesn't matter. If we put our trust in him, the Bible says that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. Ever notice it doesn't say just devouring folk? It says seeking who he can devour. Do you want to know? Who he can devour? Those who don't understand they have any authority. Those who will just lay down. 
But what does the Bible say? It says, resist the devil and he will flee. It doesn't say resist and if you are strong enough. No, it just says resist and he will flee. There's no sliding scale spectrum of Christian power. No, the power is Christ's power, period. That's it. I don't have more power than you have. You don't have more power than your neighbor. None of us have more power than the other one. We all have, the Bible said, all power. Oh, that's exciting. Mark 16, verse 15, it says, and he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these, follow, these signs will follow those who believe. It does not say those who graduate seminary. It does not say those who are pastors. It does not say those who have been Christians for enough years and read enough verses and prayed enough hours. It says those who, who? How many of you are a believer? That's you. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up servants. They will drink anything deadly, and by no means it will hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Because they're pastors? No. Nothing to do with it. Colossians 1.13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. We were under that authority, but he rescued us from that and he has put us in his authority. I already quoted it, but James 4.7, resist the devil and he will flee. 1 Peter 5.8, if you're taking notes, is the scripture about the Satan roaring like a, the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. I like what somebody said. He says he roars because he can roar without teeth. He's like a lion. And when I hear that scripture, I always picture this roaring lion with got no teeth. And he's, he's trying to intimidate. And if someone will run, drop their weapons and flee, he can knock them down and gum them to death. But that's it. If they resist, if they fight back, if they recognize their power, he can't, he can't. Ephesians chapter six, verse four, or chapter four, verse 26 says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. You see, because he, that's what he's looking for. He's looking for that foothold because he can't do much without it. And I'm going to close with the scripture we opened with, and that is, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for those of us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him 
to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. If you are here tonight and you are a believer, I want you to raise your hand. By that, I mean you believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, and that he paid for your sins. You can take your hand down. The Bible says, know that you have eternal life. It doesn't say, wait and find out. It says, no. How do you know? Scripture tells us in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, you will be saved. You say, well, what are you saved from? You're saved from the sin that separated you. You are saved from the authority that Satan had. And as that scripture we read says, you are translated or transferred into God's kingdom under his power and under his authority. Meaning that when you pass away, you are no longer separated by sin from God and you will spend eternity with him. But you don't have to wait until you pass away to experience the benefits of no longer being under Satan's authority. You can experience the, the authority of the believer even in life before death. If there's anyone here who would like to pray that prayer and be translated from the authority or the dominion of darkness into the dominion of Christ the Son, I want to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Is there anybody here? All those hands that were up before already did it. Is there anybody here? Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your ingenious plan. We thank you that you allowed us to be represented by Adam so that we could be represented by Jesus. So that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. I thank you for it. I pray that each and every one of us would continue to grow in our understanding and in our utilization of your great power and authority. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much.